children in the children's church may go to their classes, and then we'll get started here. So if you see the title on the screen, uh, it's Greek to me too. <laughs> it's called Oikonomia, and it means economy. And it's uh, the, the word in the New Testament, it's steward, stewardship. So we'll start with that. The intro verse for today is from Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. John, John. And if you have your Bibles or your phone app, you can follow along with me. So this is the parable of the uh, talents. Talents not meeting abilities or gifts, but talents was a weight of measure in biblical times. So it starts out like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability. Immediately he went on a journey. Then, then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two granted two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And this Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of our Lord. He who, all, he who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of the Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. I will continue in a second. As I was reading this and going through this, and I got to the end here, I, I was thinking about the different jobs I had in the past, and it kind of reminded me of some of the people that I worked with in this last guy, of how arrogant that he was. He's coming and saying, uh, he knew that the, the owner was a hard man or that the that the master was a hard man. And it's like the guys that we work with, that everybody around them is working hard, busting their butt, 
and you have the one guy on his phone texting, watching YouTube videos. So that's, that's how I kind of pictured this guy. He was lazy. He didn't do what he was supposed to be doing. So he said, and I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have it. He's, he's saying to the, the master, look, there you have what is yours, so here's what you have. <laughs> but the Lord in answer said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, who has more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. Let's open in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time where we can gather together in your name. Thank you for uh, just your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for the, the word that we have before us today, Lord. Thank you. We just pray for a clear message, Lord. May you speak through me. May you speak truth, Lord. Lord, touch each and every one of us as we hear your words tonight, Lord. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And all that we ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, one of the most predominant themes in the Bible is stewardship. And the Bible says a great deal about stewardship because it affects every aspect of our Christian lives. The theme stewardship ranges from Genesis in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, um, making them stewards of the planet, all the way to Revelations when God will make us stewards of the new creation. So what's the first thing you think about when you hear the word stewardship? Most people automatically go to money. But it's not just money, it's every area in our life. It's our time, our talent, as well as the treasures that we have. So stewardship, and the stewardship is faithfully using whatever God gives us, whether it's uh, interests, hobbies, skills, opportunities, employment, family, even our talents, our spiritual gifts, land, money, etc. God gives this all for his glory. So think about this. What can you do or what have you, what do you have that can be used for God's glory? Since stewardship is about giving to God the best of who we are and what we have received. And I don't know if you've heard this story. It's a story about uh, master carpenter Jim Dalton. Uh, uh, Jim was ready to retire after years of building custom homes for one of the uh, largest contractors in town. Um, at the, when he was getting ready to retire, he told his employer of his plans of leaving the house building business so he could spend the rest of his life retired with his family, enjoying um, just the, the extended family. Um, his employer was sorry to see, uh, he was sorry to see Jim go and asked him if he could build just one more house as a personal favor. Jim said, sure, I'll do it. But in time, but in time it was easy to see that Jim's heart was really not into 
his work. So Jim resorted to shoddy workmanship, and he used cheap, inferior materials to get this job finished. It really was an unfortunate way for Jim to end his career. And when Jim finished his work and the contractor came to inspect the house, the contractor handed him, handed him the front door key to Jim, and he said, this is your house. It's my gift to you. <laughs> so, um, so if Jim would have just been a good steward and built the house like he normally did, he would have had a nice house. So what does it mean to be a steward? And this is where the New Testament word for stewardship is oikonomia, which was delivered from the word economy. The word means management of a household, and it refers to the responsibility that is entrusted to a manager. A steward acts as administrative affairs and possessions of another. A good biblical example is when Joseph became Potiphar's steward, or as in Christ's parable of the steward who squandered his master's possessions, just as we read. As Christians, we have been entrusted with a stewardship. The things we call our own are not really ours, but God's. First uh, Corinthians six nineteen to twenty. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God? Do you not belong to yourself? For God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. You see, we do not own our possessions, and we do not even own ourselves. All these belong to God. So, what? is our responsibility as a steward. Is God your master? Are you his steward? If so, then you are responsible to manage his affairs and possessions. Because you are a servant, everything you have is his. 1 Corinthians 4, 1-2 says, Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and as servants of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. There's this popular misconception that we give God a percentage of everything we make and then the rest is ours as we please. Uh, the truth is we are accountable to God for everything. It is our responsibility as his stewards to remain faithful whether we have a little or we have abundance. In the parable of the, of the talents, we read the amounts differed, but each slave was entrusted with something. The rewards were not based on how much they were given, but on what they did and what, and what they were given. Significantly, the first two slaves were equally praised, though the first was given five talents and the second was given two. Luke twelve forty two says, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. All of us have been given something, and only one thing is important to God. Faithfulness to what he has given us and called us to do. The third is, what is the lifestyle of a steward? Ask yourself this question. Am I the Lord of my life, or is God the Lord of my life? Biblical stewardship involves every facet of life. It requires a basic commitment on our part. 
we must present ourselves to God as his servants. We will either seek to rule our own lives or submit to rule a God. This is the difference between the great I will and the great thy will. Um, all of us have a le legitimate physical and psychological needs, and God wants us to trust him to meet these needs. Satan would deceive us into de depending upon our own abilities and resources to meet our needs, while God tells us to depend upon him. While selfless living is the essence of righteousness, selfishness is the essence of sin. The difference between grabbers who live for themselves and givers who live for God and others is the difference between saving our lives for our own sakes and losing our lives for Christ's sake. When we gave our life to Christ, we exchanged the old for the new. We passed from death into life, from darkness to light, from sight to faith, and from an earthly to a heavenly citizenship. True stewardship reflects this exchange in the lifestyle ordered by the lordship of Christ over all things. Acts 20, 35b says, And remember the Lord Jesus, that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. We are free to give without expecting anything in return because our needs are fully met in Christ. We will be looking at three types of stewardship. The first one is the stewardship of time. The second one is stewardship of talents. And the third one is stewardship of treasure, our money. Stewardship of time. This quote comes from John Edwards, if you're not familiar with John Edwards. John Edwards was a uh, Puritan preacher in the early 1700s. And the church that he was attending in New York City split up. And so at the young age of 17, he became the head pastor of his church. And so during these few years, uh, beginning as head pastor, he came up with 70 resolutions um, that he went through weekly about how to conduct his life and how to live a Christian life. And so there's, these two quotes come from John Edwards. And it says, I want to live with an eternal perspective. And in order to live with an eternal perspective, there are three subjects that need to be present before my life on a daily, business, or a daily basis. One is the shortness of life. The second is the certainty of death. And the third is the length of eternity. If we compare them all, the short life is short here on earth. We know 100% we will die, but eternity is forever. The second quote is, I want to live in such a way as not to be confined with the mundane, trivial things of this temporal life and world as if this is all that there is. If I am to rise above the temporal and live for the eternal, I am to rise above that which I can see and live for which I cannot see. If right now is to count for forever, then I must have this eternal perspective. Uh, this scripture exhorts us to invest our time wisely, reminding us that God determines the length of our stay on earth. Ephesians 5, 15, and 16 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. 
And toward the end of his life, Moses prayed, So teach us to number our days, that we may present thee a heart of wisdom. From Psalm 90. And time is our most valuable asset, but without proper perspective, we will spend it foolishly. A biblical biblical perspective on time involves several things. One, life is brief, and we cannot be presumptuous about the future. James 4.14 says, You don't really know about tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for only a short while before it vanishes. Two, the eternal gives meaning to the temporal. 2 Corinthians 4.18, We don't focus on the things that can be seen, but on the things that can't be seen. The things that can be seen don't last, but the things that can't be seen are eternal. Number three is like other assets. Our time is owned by God. Psalm 39.4 says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting is life. Number four is we must be sensitive to opportunities so that we can make the most of them. Colossians 4.5, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. And five is our use of time will reflect our priorities. Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just as it is wise to budget our final financial resources, it is also wise to budget our use of time. Most time is wasted not in hours, but in minutes. If we do not regularly assess the way we spend our 168 hours per week, our schedules will get cluttered with activities that may be good, but not the best. Guilty as charged. <laughs> How much quality do we spend with the Lord? With our spouse, with our children, with our non-Christian friends, God wants us to be faithful stewards, not squanderers of the time that he has given us. The second part, stewardship, stewardship of talent. We have seen that stewardship in the scriptures always relates to the management of something that does not belong to us, but to someone else. Even our talents and special abilities belong to God. We owe nothing that was not first given to us. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, And what do you have that you did not receive? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? God has entrusted us with talents, abilities, and gifts, and as good stewards, we must use them for his glory and not for our own. This is true not only of God-given talents, but also of the spiritual gifts we have received. Romans 12, 6, And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. Peter specifically relates spiritual gifts to the concept of stewardship. 1 Peter 4, 10, As each one has received a special gift, employing it, employing it serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Faithful stewardship of natural talents and spiritual gifts require that we use them to glorify God and edify others. Our purpose is not to please ourselves, but to serve others. Romans 15, 2 and 3 said, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification, for even Christ did not please himself. Uh, Number three is stewardship of treasure. This is where we start talking about money. (laughs) 
So in addition to our responses, or in addition to our resources of time and talent, we have been entrusted with the stewardship of various treasures, including our bodies, our minds, and our opportunities. When it comes to our financial affairs, we must choose between two radically different approaches, the values of our society or the values of the Bible. Society tells us to find happiness and peace through money. The second tells us to find the desires of our hearts in the Lord and to be content with what he gives us. Money is a good servant, but a bad master. If we follow the world's wisdom, money will dominate us. But if we submit to the wisdom from above, money will serve us as we use it to serve God and others. While the Bible has 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 verses on faith, there are over 2,300 biblical verses that would deal with money and possessions. Jesus said more about money than he did about any other subject, including heaven and hell put together. And over 10% of the New Testament relates directly to financial matters. So why is there such an emphasis? Do you think God is trying to tell us this topic is important? One reason is that God knew we would have trouble managing our money and that we would spend a great amount of time earning, earning it, spending it, and even investing it. The second reason is that money has a profound effect on interpersonal relationships. Many people spend more than half their time thinking about money and financial, difficult, and financial difficulties are a major cause of marital conflict and divorce. A third reason is that the way we use our money is a real measure of commitment to Christ. Scripture relates money to the love of God. 1 John 3, 17 says, But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? We can assume an appearance of spirituality in prayer, Christian service, and Bible knowledge, but we cannot fake the way we use our money and possessions. Our wallet reveals more about our character and our walk with the Lord than you may think. When it comes to money, the wise person seeks the practice of timeless principles in this vital area. God is the owner of all things. Amen. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Everything is the, is the Lord's. We often speak of our possessions, but according to the Bible, God owns it all and we own nothing. But we as stewards of everything God entrusts to us. Psalm 50, verses 10 and 11 says, Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. That's how great our God is. He knows every hair on our head, every fly in the, on this earth. He knows everything about it. The truth is we came into the world with nothing and we leave it with nothing. Therefore, everything we have comes from him. There is no such thing as a self-made man. 
We believe this truth in theory, but we deny it in practice. When this happens, we slip into the rebellious attitude that my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. Instead, we must come to grips with the fact that everything that we have in this world belongs to God and is only on loan to us. This includes not only our money and possessions, but also our families, our careers, and plans for the future. If we can grasp the principle of 100% ownership, we will be ready for the principle of 100% stewardship. Some, area, some areas of our lives are harder to yield to God than others. For many Christians, the financial area is one of the hardest. To give this over, we must stop trusting in money and, and in our ability to generate it. We must recognize God alone as our source and our sustainer. He may use various means to provide for our needs, but he is the source behind it all. Each of us must learn to look to the Lord and not to the people for our security. Daniel 2.20 says, God is not only the source, but also the controller of all things. He rules over our circumstances and he accomplishes his purpose, his purposes in and through them. When we are tempted, we get angry out of our bad luck. We need to make an attitude shift and realize there is purpose behind everything that happens to us. But Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes, so God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So much of our time is occupied in earning a living. It can make it difficult to keep our priorities straight. Someone expressed this dilemma in these terms. This is a, uh, you can't win. If you run out of money, you're materialistic. If you don't get it, you're a loser. If you get it and keep it, you're a miser. If you don't try to get it, you lack ambition. If you get it and spend it, you're a spendthrift. If you still have it after a lifetime of work, you're a fool who never got any fun out of it. This is not a biblical view. <laughs> Money itself is morally neutral. It can be used for good or evil. The problem is caused by the love of money, not the amount of money. We can be just as covetous and materialistic over a little as over a lot. If we, look in the, if we look at people in the Bible like Abraham, Joseph, David, and Joseph of Arimathea, it shows that wealth itself does not jeopardize a person's walk with God. The real issue is attitude, not affluence. We may not consider ourselves rich, but compared to all the people who have lived on this earth in the past and in the present, we are clearly at the wealthy end of the spectrum. Seek first his kingdom. Luke 12, 15 says, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. If we allow anything that we desire or possess to rival our love for God, it will turn our hearts away from him. 
We cannot combine devotion to earthly goods with loyalty to Christ. It is only when we learn to trust God for our needs that we will overcome the anxiety that excels us. Matthew 6, 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. As believers, we are responsible to share generously with those in need and to support the ministry of the word. And so here are five reasons to give. Reason one, giving glorifies God. It not only supplies the needs of others, but also causes the recipients to thank and glorify God. It not only benefits you, it benefits them. Reason two, giving builds faith. Sacrificial giving creates a greater dependence on the Lord and leads to a more intimate relationship with Him. It is a step of action that puts Him first and acknowledges His ownership over all that we have. Reason number three, giving develops character. Serving the needs of others through sharing what has been given to us makes us less selfish and covetous. Our character becomes more Christ-like when we become other-centered rather than self-centered. Philippians 2.4 says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Number four, giving results in God's blessings. In 2 Corinthians 9 it says, Now this I say, He who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. Those who share abundantly in the lives of others will harvest the blessings of the Lord. We cannot outgive God because He promises that He will give back to us what we share with others. The Bible says, Gener- the, Bible says the generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And reason five is giving is an eternal investment. While it is true that you can't take it with you, you can send it on ahead. Jesus extorted us not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth because they can be corrupted and stolen. Instead, he told us to build incorruptible and lasting treasures in heaven. If we set our heart on earthly things, we may make short-range gains but sacrifice long-range rewards. It is only what we give away that we truly keep. Thus, there is an eternal return on the money we invest in the lives and in the ministries of others. Not only will you enjoy your blessings here in life, but also you enjoy the blessings eternally in heaven. The Lord has promised to bless the faithful giver, and I think the reason the Lord blesses the faithful giver is because the faithful giver, being blessed, is able to give more. There are no guarantees that Giving will make you rich. That would be the prosperity gospel. (laughs) And in closing, this is what I have witnessed and experienced in my own life. 
Uh, when I didn't have a lot to give, but freely gave, but freely gave what was on my heart to give, I noticed that I always seemed to have more later on. I wasn't necessarily getting raises at work or getting money from other sources. I just always seemed to have a bit more. And when I faithfully gave that little bit more, I had even more after that. What I have come to realize is that this is how God funds his work. He ensures that the Christian who is faithful with little has more because he knows that the Christian will be faithful to give more. There's no better place for money to be than in the hands of a faithful, sacrificial, and generous Christian. And the blessings you accrue for your faithful, free will giving go way beyond this life and, in, and into, into eternity. So, oikonomia. When life is over, will God say, well done, good and faithful servant? And that is my message for tonight. <laughs> I think, I think Joe wants to recap by seeing. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Music team?